Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 236 of Two Legs, a Paul McCartney podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Tom Hanyadi. You may know me from my other show, Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast. And I am joined by my partner in crime, my backers traveler. He is Zanny Nichols. Zanny, my friend. Uh, hello, Thomas. Coming to you from this uh, 1995 Circa Internet Buffering Stream episode of Two Legs. Uh, um <laughs> I'm well, folks. If you're watching this, it's a little bit of a shit show because we have uh, we've got some snafus, um, technology-wise. But we're here and we can be heard, and uh, I'm doing well, and I'm happy to be on here, and I'm thrilled to have a returning guest and author with us today. Yeah, I mean, this he's been very busy lately. Uh, we all know he's got uh, the YouTube book out. He's got the George Harrison in the '70s book out. He's writing for many publications including Culture Sonar, and he just wrote, and he's going to tell us about it, uh, a, a piece in this, Paul, in this standalone Paul McCartney magazine, and um, Owen Ling is returning, and he's been a staple on Ken Michaels uh, recently, <laughs> and, um, and he's everywhere, and, it, and it's great because the man is filled with opinions, and we love him. He is Owen Ling. Owen, my friend, how you been? And tell us about this new piece that you just wrote. Well, as you say, I've been here, there, and everywhere. Yes. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I've done some pieces for Record Collector with Daryl Easley in the past, and, and he emailed me to say would I like to write a piece on the, the new album, as in the 2013 album, not you know, right. the album that Paul McCartney's working on right now. Uh, and I, I, it was a no-brainer. I mean, of course I want to be in this magazine, and I realized, I want to, I realized that the hook was to be on, on my way to work in early days, so it's a very reflective album. And it ends with, this, with, a, with a piece where I said, he had looked at it back in the past. Surely now he could live in the present. Right, right, very good. <laughs> uh, very good. You, you may know Dino Viscera, he also contributed. Yes, to yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Dino's been uh, pretty vocal, especially about the whole McCartney 3 uh, reissues, and he's yeah. uh, started a, a brand new Facebook page where you can uh, go and uh, post your pictures on the uh, all the three variants on that. So check that out if you haven't already. Oh, and uh, oh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Tom. Oh, and you also just did an appearance with Ken on uh, on Ken's channel about tug of war, too, right? Yeah, that that was the piece with Dino Viscera and a guy called Beetle Tone. He's got a YouTube channel. Uh, they're, they're, yes. they're, they're, so, so it was two Englishmen and Irishmen and Ken Michaels. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we know Beetle Tone very well. He's a friend of ours, and um, and and Owen, um. I, you know, I really did enjoy the uh, the tug of war piece uh, that you guys did with Ken Michaels. Uh, very good, very very well done. And now uh, you. we're gonna you're here today to do part two of our look at uh, Paul and, and George's relationship through the press, uh, through the through um, through uh, through albums and whatnot. And um, you know, during this time, we're gonna do seventy six, I think, through eighty one. Um, and it's it's you know it's not a, a really big heavy uh, back and forth period kind of like the John and Paul uh, period you know back in the early seventies but there's some really good sound bites out there uh, some good bits is um, the, you know they're both steadily doing interviews uh, during this during this time um, so there is always that chance that you'll see them talk about each other <laughs> you know in in these pieces 
Talk about George from like 76 and 81 for, for a minute, Owen. Uh, George in 76 to 81. Well, I suppose the, the biggest thing is that he founded Handmade by the end of the 70s, which you know, and that came from the most accidental of circumstances. He just wanted to watch Life of Brian, the right. Pythons, couldn't get, couldn't get it funded. So he, he, he mortgages his house to see to see the, the greatest biblical film never told and all that. Yeah. Uh, he releases two albums. Uh, no, he releases three albums between 76 to 81. Uh, there's the best of them is the George Harrison album, which came out in '79, which has great tracks like "Your Love Is Forever" and "Blow Away." And of course, he gets married, has a kid, and he seems to be in a steadier life than he was in '74 with the Dark Horse Troll, which was, you know, which was divorce and cocaine and a really, really terrible American tour. Yeah, yeah, true, very true. It's interesting. You look at the dynamic. You know, um, Paul is kind of at his commercial zenith with Wings. From yes. between 76 and 79 george doesn't have the commercial success but seems to be at peace with his life as you mentioned and, and, yes, a, and a better much. place 100 percent. yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah he's, i mean i think fatherhood is very good for him i mean Dan, danny harrison adored his father he's nothing but yeah. the best of things to say a bit like john lennon with julian i mean fatherhood just brought something out of them not julian sean lennon yes yeah very much not with Julian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that we did the first installment of this, I want to say, probably about a year ago. It was in July. Oh, okay, July of 23. Yeah. Okay, yep. so it hasn't been as long as I thought. So it's felt like it's been a little bit longer than that, but it's good to have part two. Yes. Um, and obviously, you know, we'll see the legs, obviously, as we get through the 90s. To get back into this to do a part three, uh, as Tom mentioned, but I mean there are a certain amount of you know headlines that you can kind of cherry pick and go through between their relationship in the second half of the seventies. Obviously, not nearly as, um, uh, for lack of a better word, like the first half of the seventies. Obviously, it was a little more vitriol and press and like the like the relationship with all the Beatles during that point. But um, right. you know, from seventy six to eighty one, the wedding, John's passing, and all that. As we'll get to it. Yeah, I mean, where it really gets juicy is then come like 82, 83, 84, when, you know, more lawsuits come to light, um, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, you know, George is very vocal about Paul, you know, throughout the 80s and into the 90s. So those are going to be some interesting, uh, interesting quotes uh, during part three. So look forward to that. But there's some there's some interesting stuff here, too starting in 1976 and um as we go i'll try to show the source material where you know because i've you know i've gone back and i've uh here's the 76 rolling stone uh issue right here yep and uh this is uh the the sorry june 17th of 1976 and, it, and it's, it's been a lot of fun going back and and looking at these interviews and seeing where they're at and see if they're telling the same stories that they tell now especially paul because you know Paul loves a good story, um, you know, i.e. Band on the Run and the, uh, you know, we're not going to America without number one. Um, all that jazz. <laughs> yeah, all that jazz. But, um, well, starting off with 76, and uh, in, in the Rolling Stone magazine, he's, he's being asked about George Harrison's tour. And, um, you know, 
Paul responds. He, you know, and, and Paul tries not to be super critical unless he's being pushed about, yeah. you know, his, his, his ex bandmates. And then he's kind of, he was kind of pushed here. Uh, and he said, if, um, if I had been producing him, if I had been his impersonario on the tour, I would have asked him to do a few more songs he was known for and also to stick to the arrangements a little more because he did change things up a little bit on that 74 tour. And, mm-hmm. And, and 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 Owen, you wrote a little bit about this in your George Harrison book about that '74 tour. You know, changing yes. changing some lyrics. You know, changing arrangements a little bit. Maybe not doing all of the the hits that people were hoping yeah. he would do. Um, to that, do you think Paul has a point about that? About you know, maybe maybe he should have done more tracks that he was known for, or sticking to the uh, the original arrangements of the songs. Oh, 100 percent. He should have. If you're, uh, it's. It's one thing to only perform a handful of Beatle tracks, but if you're going to perform them, perform them fairly reverently to the originals. I mean, no, nobody wants to hear this to, to hear this makeover of In My Life to, to suggest it's a it's a Christian reinterpretation. And if, and if you're, oh, if, you're going right. to perform, if you're going to perform something, perform it as it is on the record. There is that story that in 1991, he when he did that tour with Clapton, he performed a different solo, and the entire band said, "No, it has to be." Right, and they they hummed the solo for him. I'm not going to hum it for you guys. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you gotta admire in one uh, aspect that he's following the Dylan-esque route of just you know uh, subverting everything and changing it up to. But you also have to be respectful to fans who are paying big monies, you know, spending their hard-earned money. You, you I mean, the typically bands they, they might do their new stuff, but for the for like a 20-minute encore, they just play the hits. Mm. seriously i mean for 1974 i mean it's it's too early in the game to be i think to you know as you quoted it there uh owen like pulling a bob dylan you you gotta stay it's too fresh and in my opinion i think the 74 tour just should have been it was bad timing he just should not have done a tour then his life was not stable enough for a tour maybe later 75 76 you know it would have been better but it just was not the, the, the best timing, even 73 could have been better, mm-hmm. 72 coming hot off the heels of All Things Must Pass. I agree. You know, yeah. just the timing of that was just uh, not uh, one of his better decisions. I mean, he did have, he did have the car crash in 72, which uh, Patty Boyd has hinted was a, was a, was a detrimental to their marriage. She, 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 she intimates that, that that didn't help their marriage. I think she was better. She was more badly injured from the car crash than he was. But uh, but nobody comes out of like, a car crash unscathed. I mean, uh, unfortunately, you look at Eric Stewart. I mean, the, he he himself says that he divides his career into like the pre-car crash and the post-car crash. I don't think he ever quite recaptured the creative spark after he had that car crash in 1979. As horrible as really? as it is to say. Yes, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, the 10 CC work. There was a there was a rapid decline from say, I mean, before the car crash, there was. There was things we do for love, dreadlock holiday, all these uh, feel feel the benefit, feel the benefit, all these tremendous tracks, and after that, don't have that level of. And I would say his best work post post the car crash for Eric Stewart was the Press Play album, which of course they've already covered. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, continuing with '76 in September, Ringo releases Ringo's Rotogravure, and uh, both Paul and George contribute uh, tracks. Uh, for Ringo, um, George gives Ringo "I'll Still Love You," 
which uh, which ends up becoming a lawsuit, <laughs> um, which they they publicly talked about um, in, in in the future. And then Paul contributes a track called Pure Gold. Now, for my That's money, yeah, for my money, the, the George track, uh, you know, tramples all over uh, the Paul track, Pure Gold. I I love I'll still love you, even though yeah, Ringo was. Yeah, even though Ringo wasn't happy with uh, and changed the the arrangement to what George brought him, and hence the the, the lawsuit. But uh, I I love I'll still love you. Um, yeah, that's a great track. I'm the opposite. I much prefer Pure Gold. I mean, it's it's very infectious. It's very much the sequel to uh, Six O'clock on the Ringo album. Uh, I mean, it's it's it, it's very it's very McCartney-esque with with you know the rising melody. Whereas I still love you. I mean, in this arrangement, is just it's just anodyne. All right, fair enough. Um, but uh, there was a video. Uh, Ringo does do a video for "I'll Still Love You" during his uh, shaved head, uh, drunken. Uh, oh God! <laughs> was that when he was with Nancy Andrews? Yes, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So it's all. Yeah, exactly. Every song is sung, and every yeah, dream is done. The lounge act uh, era. Seriously. Of- <laughs> I'll still love you. Love you. There you go. Thanks, <laughs> thanks very much. I'll be in the bar. Yeah, yeah yes, he will be. <laughs> oh, um, moving on to 77, and this, um, another interview here uh, for, for Craw Daddy magazine. Um, from 1977. Now, this I got from the George Harrison, George Harrison book. Uh, this is from uh, Ashley Kahn, who did the editing on this. He took a bunch of uh, TV spots and interviews that George did through uh, a you know 20, 20 year or so period of uh, of his career, and uh, really good stuff in here. Uh, but like I said, this is from February of 1977 from Crawdaggy Magazine. And the, the question, uh, the quote um, that I'm going to read kind of stems from uh, a beginning conversation about why he's doing a double album or why he did a double album uh, to, to, you know, to open his you know, solo career with All Things Must Pass. And, um, and then, it, you know, the conversation, you know, moves to this quote right here. And, and, he, and George is quoted saying, Paul would help. Paul would always help along when you've done 10 of his songs. Then uh, when we got around doing one of my songs, he would help. It was silly. It was very selfish, actually. Sometimes Paul would make us do these really fruity, fruity songs. I mean, my God, Maxwell Silverhammer was so fruity. After a while, we did a good job on it. But when Paul got an idea or an arrangement in his head, but Paul's writing for a fourteen-year-old, fourteen-year-old audience now, anyhow. So that was I. I that thought is a singer, oh, man. Yes. <laughs> that is a singer because it's not true. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what do you uh, think about that? I mean, it's saying a lot. I mean, it's. A, I mean, Chris Thomas himself has said that that he he never saw any evidence that that they weren't putting the same level of commitment to George's songs as they were as they were to to their own. Uh, I'm. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, we see that we've seen the the Peter Jackson documentary. It looks like Paul McCartney's putting his backbone into the tracks. On, on like for you blue, they're like John Lennon's playing this pedaling solo, and uh, I mean, uh, I, 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 when I interviewed Michael Lindsay Hogg about the, about the Letter B sessions, which which 
George Harrison came to claim was like the was the nadir or the, the winter discontent or whatever he said about the Beatles. He said himself that he never thought that George Harrison was particularly difficult, but he was just ready to move on. He probably was of the four of them the most ready to move on. And maybe over the years that snowballed into something grimier and he perhaps felt a little more resentful towards Paul McCartney. Or, right. But I mean I mean yeah. if you look if you look at it, I mean, look at the, the guitar solo on Taxman or the or the piano on While My Guitar Gently Weeps, or or the backing vocals on something. I mean, this is not someone who's not putting their back into the work. Oh no, and it's it's definitely a mature, uh, more of a mature audience type of thing. I mean, this is an adult stuff. I mean, as in, I'm, and I'm speaking towards the, the the comment about the 14 year old audience. I mean, oh. you know, these these are creative you know, progressive forward, you know, music making that he's doing, you know, helping with with George's tracks. And then, you know, continuing to the solo career. Yeah, I mean, he, is a, he did a lot of poppy stuff. We know that. Yeah. But he did also a lot of progressive stuff, too. You know, I think of something like Monkberry Moon Delight. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know. But, he, but he'd also, in 75, released a comic book track, Magneto Entertainium and Man, and that was definitely yeah, in the 14-year-olds. I mean, I mean, fourteen-year-olds are the people reading draft novels. Yes. Right, but but that's the thing with Paul. Like, you could check, they could album like Venus and Mars, which has got a smattering of all kinds of genres of music on it. You know, punk. You know, with the rock show. You gave me the answer. You yeah. know, so that's Paul doesn't just write for one audience. He just writes for whatever he yeah. wants, and then it just goes out there in the ether for you to make your judgment on it. So it's, yeah. Well, I mean, Mike Rutherford from Genesis made a similar comment about about Genesis of the eighties, where he said everyone talks about you know an invisible touch or uh, or the hits, whereas they also had like I mean Home by the Sea and these more or and the Brazilian and all these interesting pieces that yeah. were probably yeah. superior to the singles, but everyone's focusing on the singles, and it's a mis right. it's a mis it's misapprehension of the band, and unfortunately that seems to be a way that everyone judges people on the singles and less so on the albums. Right. right, but I mean, yeah, I mean, McCartney too. I mean, he, he, as you read the McCartney Legacy book, you know, there's there's quite a few quotes from him, quotes from him in that book, stating that he would listen to the radio, see what the big hits were of that time, or what what the radio was playing, and then kind of sometimes maybe you know mirror that. So I mean, part of that, I mean, I can agree that maybe sometimes he was playing for a younger audience because I mean, listen, that's what music's geared towards, right? I mean, the younger audience. Yeah, I th um, um, but I mean, uh, George Harrison tended to slavishly follow the likes of Ro Robbie Robertson and George Harrison, who tended to write on a more elevated level to say average rock and roll. So perhaps right. by that standard, he might've thought that some of McCartney's work was juvenile. But uh, but yeah, like George liked a zinger. He, he liked to make a zinger about people. Yes, he did. Yeah. He did. There'll be more coming uh, in, in part three, for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, all right, moving to 78. Uh, we got the Ruddles. All you need is cash premieres. And uh, George does do a cameo. Eric Idle does a parody of Paul McCartney. Uh, his name is Dirk McQuickly. And then there's uh, Ricky uh, Fatar as, as Stig O'Hara. Um, both are quite amusing parodies. You know, obviously this is George's wheelhouse. He loves this kind of comedy. You know, he's friends with the Monty Python. Um, 
we I, I don't know if we have ever seen any kind of reaction from from or quote from Paul about his feelings about how he was portrayed um, in this uh, in this show, but um, it is it, it's it's hilarious to see how you know how Eric Idle portrays uh, yeah. you know yeah well I I can say that Neil Innes has said that Paul McCartney was a bit uncomfortable with some of the jokes yeah. I've okay. read that, and I've read it. There's a quote somewhere that um, Eric Idle was at a function or a dinner with Paul, and they tried to kind of, ex ex you know, exchange pleasantries, and it was a little bit awkward. I don't know. Yes. I don't know. I don't remember when that when or when that was, but I've read that in some book over the years, and it was not the most um, yeah. heartwarming uh, <laughs> connection. Well, I can confirm because Neil has answered some questions on Twitter to a, for a pal of mine, and he said that he said that that the other three got it, but Paul was a little bit less comfortable with the Ruttles than... And Neil Innes, of course, played the John Lennon type in Ruttles songs. Right. I think with time, though, Paul has probably eased his stance on that, but we don't, you know, obviously he hasn't, he hasn't addressed it, but I think now Paul can look at it and say they're just taking the mickey out of us and he, it's okay, but back in the 70s, maybe not. Yeah, well, Ken Michael said that, uh, as, you, as you say, I've been on his show a few times, he said that he felt Idol was a little bit more cutting than the others were towards their Beatles, which, you know, with that blood scene, like, yeah, and, 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 and in a fantastic book Jim Roberts wrote about uh, the Beatles' humor, he interviewed, he did a lot of interviews with Neil Innes, and Innes himself said that he felt a little uncomfortable with Idol's portrayal, that it was a little bit more cutting. There was more of a sense, <laughs> there was more of a sense that he just genuinely couldn't stand McCartney, that it wasn't an right. affectionate right. parody. Yeah. You got you to wonder, too, if George was over there kind of egging him on a little bit, you know, to you know, push, him forward, yeah, push him forward in the, in the way he was going with it. Because it is funny, because then he'll do, the, you know, those facial expressions while he's singing, you know, you know, you know and, uh, you know, and you're right, too, the piano, the piano bit where he's going, dee, 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 you know, it's, you know, very, yeah. very funny and definitely taking... Uh, Getting a zinger in on Paul. I, I think one, one of the Ruddle songs pushed a little bit too close to the edge. I forget, it might have been uh, the get one up that and sang, go. Get, get up, up and go. go. Get up yeah. and go. Yeah. 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 Even John Lennon told them that he said, You're, You've crossed the line, and that one I drop it. And Lennon loved the film, and Yoko loved the film, which is good because right. she's portrayed as a Nazi in that film. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And they, they, they both thought it was hysterical. They loved the film. and uh, I think right. it, But to Paul's cred, Ringo was also a little uncomfortable. He found the jokes about the court cases and, you know, the manager going to Australia. He found that all a little close to the bone. Ah, uh, very good. Yeah. All right. Again, with time, with time, though, I mean, it's still so fresh and raw to everybody, yeah. you know, 78. So it's still, yeah. you know, again, time with time, things kind of get a little bit easier. But for the day, it probably felt a little bit stinging for Paul and Ringo, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, there's that joke where uh, Barry Wan sues himself, which, which was something. <laughs> if you read the Pirate Peter Doggett book, and I, I congratulate you guys for the interview you did with Peter Doggett, that was fantastic. Top notch. Oh, thank you. But, but you read the "You Never Give Me Your Money" book. That's not far off the truth. No, no, not at all. Not yeah. at all. Um, yeah. Moving to '79. Um, George Harrison does this roundtable uh, show for David Kidd Jensen on BBC One. Uh, this is a show that had Michael Jackson on it as well. This is February 9th, 1979. And um, when asking about the Ruddles, um, 
uh, Jensen asks, what about the other fellows' reactions, John Paul uh, and Ringo? Are you aware of, about their reactions to the Ruddles? Where George responds, no, but they, but they've, uh, they haven't spoken to me since. <laughs> so, you know, another comical, uh, uh, you know, quote there from, from, from George Harrison, which, uh, you know, to be expected, uh, you know, I, again, I, I really, I'm really fond of the Ruddles. I know a lot, there's a lot of fans. I know Neil has appeared at the, the Beatles fest, uh, several times and, um, you know, there's a special place in everybody's heart. It's kind of one of those things where, you know, it's when, when you're a younger a Beatles fan, you, you know, and you, you know, the, 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 um, you know, your, your teachers or whatever in, in your, your, your life, you know, they, they show you, you know, the ruddles. It's kind of like one of those, yeah. uh, you know, secrets that, you know, that, that you, uh, you know, pick up on later, uh, in your, um, you know, Beale lives. But do you remember the first time you saw, uh, the ruddles, Owen? Yeah, uh, it was in my second year of university when I should have been studying for my exams. And said I went onto YouTube and just watched the Ruffles and said, "Yeah." <laughs> and it was it, it, it is just hysterical. Now this is what he said. Yes. <laughs> Nothing. Okay. Yeah. Moving over here. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it's Eric Idle's finest hour, I think. It is, and they're all accomplished musicians in their own right. I mean, I'm not—I'm not sure how many people know, but Ricky Fatar, yeah, who is in that was it's part of the Beach Boys. Was part yes. of the Beach yes. Boys with Blondie Chay, and, and was on say, was on Holland and toured with them for quite a while. Ended up becoming, I believe, Bonnie Raitt's drummer. I had the chance yes. to meet him yeah. many yeah, many years alive. ago. He's still alive. And yeah, I met I met I met Rick at a record store actually, and uh, just had He's... a nice chat with him for about five or ten minutes. It was nice. Yeah. And of course, uh, the drummer John Halsey, I think his name is, he played on the Lou Reed's Transformer album. Yeah. Oh wow! Okay. So they, yeah, they, they weren't top-notch musicians. They weren't like this Spinal Tap. No. Where it's just, where it's just actors who you know are messing around on guitars. Speaking of which, isn't there going to be a Spinal Tap sequel with Paul's? Yes. Guys? Isn't there yes. going to be? That? I know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I'll reserve judgment until I see it. Exactly. I'm not looking forward to it. I wish they would just leave it alone, but. Um, Me too. We'll we'll see, uh, but but you know what, Christopher Guest and Harry, you know Harry uh, Shearer and Michael McKean. I mean, they're improvising champions. I mean, they they yeah. can improvise with the best of them. Um, so okay. I'm really curious to see how uh, how they present uh, the sequel here, um, which Paul McCartney was was uh, I guess uh, is slated to appear uh, okay. in. Uh, Oh, my mother's going to say, uh, I was always a fan of the tap. I told yeah. Mindy and Danny, these oh. guys are really good. And uh, yeah. they didn't believe me. Now. And it's like, well, you're laughing now because you both are dead. Right. <laughs> that was a bit soon. Too uh, soon I'm sorry. There. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know, but you know, Paul's gonna be silly in it, and it, and you know, I, I don't know how I feel about him appearing in the film or not, but, uh, but whatever. Like you said, we'll we'll reserve judgment. Yeah, we'll reserve judgment on that till it's out. Yeah. All right, so 1979, in April, uh, George Harrison does an interview for Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, where he says, do you like uh, the music uh, Paul is making now? Harrison, I think it's inoffensive. I've always preferred Paul's good melodies to his screaming rock and roll tunes. The tune I thought was sensational on the London Town album was I'm Carrying. But all the noisy, beady things I'm not into. 
at all. But then that's not only with Paul's music. So then he goes on and talks about all the other artists that does the mm. loud, beady things as well. But uh, What do you think he's referring to with loud, noisy, beady things with Paul's music at that time? What do you think he's referring to? Yeah, I mean... Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe something like that. More smooth, uh, more smooth than the Grey Goose, maybe. Yes. Maybe, maybe yeah. Mark Moon Delight, maybe. Um, who knows? But uh, but I love his rockers. You know, he, he's one of the great uh, rock singers. You know, so yes. what I love about that quote, and it's always fascinated to me, is that because you don't, it's never said, but you, and and it's rarely do they ever speak of, that they've listened to each other's albums, but clearly. They all listened to each other's albums, even though they never went on record about it much post-breakup, you know, yeah. and they may not admit it, but you know they all listen to each other's albums, and I'm always curious. We never got more sound bites and quotes on what they all thought about their other solo records as they progressed through the 70s. Yeah, I mean, I'm, fascinated, I'm fascinated by this that he says on caring that he loves the, the he loves this track. He loves the melody. And, you know, you more than you think about it, I mean, George does a lot of that kind of stuff in his solo career. I mean, he's not a rock and roller like yeah. we get, like like he was in the, in the in the Beatles, right? He's doing, you know, if you yeah. want to call it adult contemporary, he's doing a lot of that stuff in his throughout his catalog. Yeah, and of course, I'm carrying has the Gizmotron, and uh, when I interviewed Lol Cream in 2022, I asked him, "Did did Paul McCartney buy it off you?" He said, "No, no, no, no. You, you don't ask for, for money from Paul." <laughs> <laughs> Because Lowell's got this great laugh, and uh, and uh, yeah, he said he just got handed. He said he said, but he's a left-handed bugger. And uh, uh, Lowell, Lowell still so wonderfully Manchester. And uh, yes, I just I might as well do this shameless plug. In that episode we did a few years ago on Ten CC, I said I'd love to interview Lowell Green. I have done that since. Oh. Uh, awesome. All right, uh, carrying on with 1979. The former Mrs. George Harrison, Patty Boyd, marries Eric Clapton in Tucson, Arizona. This is May of 19. Uh, Paul, George, and Ringo, all three attend. Um, later that evening, Paul, George, Ringo perform on stage with Clapton and others, including Jagger, Ginger Baker, and Denny Lane. Now, there's, there's photos, or there's said to be photos that have never... Um, uh, seen the day of lights, um, and obviously no one recorded uh, what was going on. But I would imagine that this was probably just a, a, a you know booze fueled, um, you know, uh, what's the uh, the Lennon and uh, uh, McCartney thing uh, from '76, uh, Toot and a Snore type. '74. Uh, yeah. '74. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. '74 type uh, booze drug fueled um, jam session. But well, does anyone want to hear that? Yeah, according, according to Keith Badman, which I'm I'm referencing yeah. that great book, uh, friends and family take souvenir pictures of the events, although none have appeared in print. Now, right. what, let's get a book of that, Paul. Come on. And uh, Denny Lane, Denny Lane said he was really glad that nobody had a tape, which I can understand because they were probably all drunk and they yeah, and they, were, it was a, they were just fumbling around, just having a good time on stage. It's one of those like a like a late night out dancing, and then the next day you see the footage of what you looked like. Nobody wants to see that. No. I mean, the fact that Lonnie Lonnie Donegan was there too is pretty pretty impressive. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned that book here. It is right here for those 
um, if I'm not frozen or anything like that. <laughs> you got it right there, too. It's the Beatles after the breakup, uh, 1970 to 2000. Um, day-by-day account of, you know, uh, events, uh, interviews, uh, whatnot, quotes about other Beatles, uh, yeah. a really good book. Quite uh, worn. Quite yeah. worn. <laughs> yeah. A lot, of, a lot of fun stuff in that book, so... Um, but yeah, um, you know, obviously we know the history of, of, of Clapton, the, you know, the, the love triangle that was Clapton, Patty and, and, and George, um, that marriage did, didn't last that long, um, itself. I'm not a hundred percent sure how long it did last, but I think it, you know, lasted into the eighties. Um, I don't think it went into the nineties, did it? No, Do you recall? It no, no, yeah. no, def- definitely not. But by, by the 1991 tour, they, they definitely split. I think they. I think it was about '86. They'd split or slash divorced. Okay. Yeah. And Patty, as we know, is still. A, she's been a, a recent guest at the fest uh, the last year or two. Uh, one right. Of the top. One of the top build guests, uh, especially last year. In New yeah, York last and Chicago. Year, yeah, last year she was there. This year, her sister is uh, is going to be at the fest. Uh, so that should be interesting. Um, moving on to 1980. Um, January. Uh, Paul, after, Paul gets the, after the after the incident. Yeah, you know, Paul gets into trouble. Uh, George sends a telegram uh, stating, uh, uh, "Thinking of you with love. Keep your spirits high. Nice to have you back home again soon. God bless. Love, George and Olivia." So you know, even though you know George likes to get his zingers in from from Paul, there's obvi- obviously there's there's still love there uh, for their relationship. Uh, George thinking of his friend um, as he uh, rots in a jail cell. Uh, <laughs> You know, going, you know, dee, 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 doo, 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 you know, on a piano, maybe in the jail, jail cell, who knows. But, um, uh, but that nice of them to do that, though. Yeah, very, very, very thoughtful, very considerate. I mean, much more considerate than Lennon going to a, a newspaper saying, saying, get a beetle if you want weed, you can get weed, and all that nonsense. <laughs> yeah. I think it just, it, it always says that, you know, that no matter what, was going on they all loved each other you know yes they they were family to the end i mean i as much as much as he may have admired denny lane and denny and henry mcculloch and yada yada they weren't family to him the way that the beatles were family to him no i don't know i mean i think yeah i mean although i do think he was quite upset paul mccartney was quite upset by the break of the wings i said this on the ken michaels show that, right. uh, Ken, Ken Michael said that it was Paul McCartney's decision, but I said, yeah, but even though it was his decision to end it, it's still a breakup. And he had worked with Danny Lane for the best for over a decade. And yeah, now it's true. Come to an end. And now it's come to an end. And then, I mean, I, 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 uh, it sounds like the relationship was fairly rocky for a few years afterwards, probably because of the split. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, August 1980, Paul does a Musician Magazine, uh, which later ends up becoming the McCartney Interview album. Um, very uh, uh, telling. I mean, we we know the history of, of Paul and, and George and the Beatles. Um, he, he's this um, uh, Vic Garbarini, the, the the guy that conducted the interview. He goes, he asked Paul, uh, Paul, uh, there was some uh, uh, what, let's say, did, did musical disagreements or conflicts have anything to do with the breakup? And Paul's uh, answer to that was uh, uh, there was some uh, of the minor reasons. Uh, they were some of the minor reasons. Yeah. 
I remember on Hey Jude telling George not to play uh, guitar. He wanted to echo after the vocal phrases, uh, echo, I'm sorry, echo riffs after the vocal phrases, which I didn't think was appropriate. He didn't see, uh, see it like that. And it was a bit of a number for me to have to dare to tell George Harrison, who's one of the greats, I think not to play. It was like an insult, but that was how we did a lot of our stuff. So obviously, you know, people bringing in ideas, you know, the person that brings the song in would, would agree or disagree. Um, I don't think uh, a guitar riff, would, you know, echoing a, a vocal line was probably appropriate either. Andy, what say you? For Hey Jude? No. Yeah, for Paul, Jude. Paul was in the right with, the, with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it would have ended up sounding like something like November Rain, just gauche and overblown and, and tasteless right. and tacky. And it would, uh, no, I mean, to, uh, that's why the song is brilliant because it starts with the piano, acoustic guitar, drums, and it slowly builds up to the, to the, to the closing crescendo where it, it's almost where it stems of opera. And George, of course, had, may have done a dig himself on the uh, Isn't It a Pity recording yes. where, at the yeah. Edward, where the close of that track, he has singers going like, Duh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think a call and response on "Hey Jude" with a guitar is just—it's just not needed, and you know, no, it's not. It just—it just—it was—it was perfection as needed, and that was—that was one where George had to concede. Okay, you're Paul McCartney, I'm George Harrison, and it's okay. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it was just how that, that for George Harrison as a, as as someone who who never prided himself as a singer or a songwriter, but he prided himself as a guitar player. That was a burst to the ego. It's one thing for George Martin to say, put the guitar away. Or well, when's the guy you shared the bus with when you were eight is telling you, I don't want this guitar solo. Right. It's gonna sting. And as George said in the anthology, there was a lot of ego in that band. Yeah, of course. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All uh, right. Yeah. Go ahead, Dave, go ahead. Of course, there's a story about Peter Frampton going up to George Harrison saying, I loved your guitar solo, I think it was on, on Taxman, or it was either Peter Frampton or Lindsay Buckingham, and of course George Harrison says, that wasn't me. And then he names another track, oh, this guitar solo, he's like, that was also Paul. And it just yeah. goes on and on. So that must have stung a bit. I love the oh. indelible, the, the indelible, humble, <laughs> infectious guitar solos were either John Lennon or Paul McCartney. And it's George Harrison's meant to be the lead guitar right. player. Right. And that's not the first time it happens, too, because on that BBC roundtable he does with Michael Jackson in 79, they're yes. talking about something. And then Michael Jackson said that was that, yeah, that was one of his favorite Lennon McCartney. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and oh. Jared was like, no, that's me. <laughs> yeah. And then Michael Jackson's like, well, I thought that was Lennon McCartney. And George responds, yeah, so does everybody. <laughs> thinks that, too. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Frank Sinatra would say, this is my favorite, Len McCartney Trump. McCartney, yeah, exactly. Oh, so, you know, poor George. Um, but anyways, moving on to 1981, uh, we're going to finish with this year uh, for this installment. But uh, early 1981, okay, so there's the track all those years ago. Which, um, you know, if you want to believe it, uh, there's there's conflicting stories whether or not this was intended for Ringo. Ringo says, yeah, he did. Um, George did uh, send him a demo of this, which he didn't think uh, he cared for. Uh, so he sent it back to uh, to George. And then after John's death, um, obviously George reworks the tune. Um, I think the, the, the backing demo stays the same. And then just George... Um, 
uh, changes the lyrics to reflect on John's death. Mm. Um, now, um, Paul is also working on tug of war at the time, and he would like a, um, a guitar solo for, for Wonderlust. Oh. So in early 1981, um, Paul, Linda, Denny, uh, George, and, and Jeff Emmerich, uh, um, go to uh, Friar Park, where where George is working on uh, sometime in uh, or somewhere in England. Um, LP, um, you know, they contribute backing vocals to all those years ago, and um, and then you know Paul's requesting uh, you know guitar solo, which he never does. I think he he expresses that he does it doesn't need Don't a need guitar it. solo. Yeah, which I, I completely agree with. But yeah. the fact uh, that this is the first time since uh, I mean mine that George, Paul, and Ringo are on a track together with all those years ago. And what a terrible track it is, too. <laughs> I know you're joking. No, no, I, I think it's an awful track. I genuinely do. I think it's, it's hackneyed. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Ken Michaels, if you're watching this or any of the other listeners. I really don't rate that track. You don't like Wanderlust? Oh, no, no, uh, all those years ago when I was talking about, oh, Wanderlust is the, the perfection. I'm so sorry. <laughs> to each his own. You know, yeah. Wanderlust, is, no, Wanderlust is in the top three McCartney tracks within or without the Beatles. It is, it's just perfection. I thought you were yeah. talking about all those years ago. Uh, no, no, yeah. no, no, Wanderlust, Wanderlust. <laughs> no, no, Wanderlust. I can't pray. As I said, I said, I agree with what you guys said. I said this on the Ken Michaels show that I had that. That on Wanderlust, like it, don't, it didn't need a guitar solo. It's perfect. I really can't think of anything George Harrison could have contributed to it. It's, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. There, there's some there's some fun photos. Of, there's some fun Linda uh, Polaroid photos that maybe we can uh, share um, with with their time at Friar Park with George, with the two Georges and Paul and Denny, um, you know, sharing a cup of tea or whatnot. But uh, yeah. so so you prefer like uh, for tributes uh, to John here today. What are your thoughts on that, Owen? I mean, is that a better tribute to, to John? You think overall? Much better, but I think it also was it, uh, McCartney had taken some time. It, it took it was eighteen months, two years later. So we had this very finely written tribute, whereas a lot of people, Dave Gilmore, uh, George Harrison, they released tributes perhaps a little too quickly when they hadn't. Uh, they say you shouldn't write a tribute so soon after someone's death yeah. because you haven't, you haven't, you haven't accepted it. I mean, to, I mean, by nineteen eighty-two, McCartney might had not perhaps. It had not, the, full, the fullness had not come on, but he was still, it, the shock had gone. It, and it was so, so he was able to show a more realized track, like he shows about how the two of them couldn't cry, whereas, whereas Harrison's much more hagiographic and much more, oh, Lennon could do no wrong, and, and he was basically a mess, messiah, messianic figure. Which I don't even think John Lennon would have, would have appreciated. No, he wouldn't have. And it's a good point that you make there, Owen, because it, it, it would... And besides the fact that the song was written prior to Lennon's death, and then was kind of yeah. tweaked to change, yeah. lends you know, uh, you know, lends it yeah. to your your released your in released in May of eighty one. I think it goes to number two. Uh, I think yeah. Betty Davis Eyes is the track that uh, keeps it from hitting number one. Right. So I think things like I think things like the late great Johnny Ace by Paul right. Simon, and of course Empty Empty Garden by Elton John. Oh, were, fantastic were yeah. much better, much yeah. better tributes. Or, or Queen's Life is Real that has one of Freddie Mercury's best vocals. Yes. From, I believe, Hot Space, right? Yeah. yeah. An, an, album I, an album I will defend to the grave. I think it's in the top five of Queen. Okay. There you go. Thank you. 
There you go. <laughs> um, okay, April 27, 1981. Uh, Ringo marries uh, Barbara Bach in uh, Maryborn uh, or Marylebourne. Marylebourne. Uh, Thank you. Town Hall. Yeah. Uh, George and Paul attend. There's a great photo, a group photo we'll, we'll post here too as well. Um, with uh, with with the with all three of them and their wives uh, and a couple of kids in the picture as well. I think they're sitting and they're standing uh, behind the cake or whatnot. Um, great great little photo of them um, together. Um, it's it's just really cool to see them. You know, at these events together, they, you know, sharing their love together. I guess um, whether or not they're always getting along. Um, you know, it was another question, but seeing them support each other and appearing at these events from time to time, which doesn't happen, which didn't happen a lot come 1970 or even no. during the Beatles. I mean, they all didn't attend their weddings and what and whatnot. Um, so well, to, to see this was pretty cool. Yeah. Curiously, Yoko wasn't invited, which, you, which she said she was quite hurt by, that she said that she would have liked to have been told the wedding was happening. Mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because... Uh, yeah, because Ringo and Barbara do show up, I think, at Yoko's place uh, not long after um, uh, of, of John's passing. The next day. Yeah. The next yeah. day. So I kind of maybe four months later, maybe they just felt that uh, they wanted to give her her space. It had only been four months since he had passed. I, I don't know. She was right to say that someone should have said so she, she should have been told they were getting married and she should have yeah. been told the wedding is happening and and, and, and had the option of coming or not. Yeah, and, she, she, agreed. Then, and then she would have respectfully declined. She, yeah, she wouldn't have gone, but yeah, yeah. yeah they, the, the extension should have been uh, made. Agreed. 100%, yeah. No, it's one of the clumsier oversights. Right. Um, October uh, 81, Stop and Smell the Roses is released. This is Ringo's uh, first album of the 80s. Um, again, Paul and, and George contribute songs. Um, George uh, contributes Rack My Brain, which is uh, Ringo's first uh, and last, or well, not his first, but I mean his last top 40 hits. Uh, his first since I think Hey Baby or Dose of Rock and Roll. I think Dose of Rock and Roll uh, from 76. And then um, Paul contributes uh, new songs, Private Property and Tension. Uh, for my money, again, I think George knows uh, uh, Ringo very well and writes Rack My Brain, which I think is 10 times better than both Private Property and Attention. Um, Rack My Brain yeah, is the police. Yeah, is is it's a um, a single as well as private property, um, attention. Uh, so there was two two singles from this album, uh, with yeah. "Rack My Brain" and and, and uh, private property. Uh, Owen, what what are your thoughts on those tracks? I I'd agree with your summation, but I might add that uh, that that George actually had written a couple of songs with with Ringo. I mean, those photograph which has the Harrison Starkey co-writing credit. Right. Uh, Harrison did a lot of uncredited work on Octopus's Garden and It Don't Come Easy. So they've worked on a one-to-one -one level. So in the same way that McCartney would know Lennon on, a, on an intimate level because they worked on so many songs, I think George had the advantage because he had worked with Ringo on that level. So he knew his strengths and he knew his limitations. Whereas, whereas Paul tend to write songs and if he didn't want to sing them, then maybe Ringo could sing them. Right. I always thought that they, they, were, they were a great team um, because, I mean, you think of something like early 1970, which had, which features, you know, George on guitar. You got Back yeah. Off Boogaloo. Yeah. Uh, like I said, you got, you know, Photograph, It Don't Come Easy. Um, you know, these, you know, um, tracks that, that George and Ringo worked on 
together throughout the 70s. I, you know, there, there should have been more of that. I mean, they, there's a lot of potential, hit-making potential uh, with, 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 with that combo. And uh, it was too bad that we didn't get more of that into uh, the later 70s and then throughout the 80s. I mean, I mean, so, I mean maybe some of them were too busy sleeping with each other's wives for that time. Well, there you go. Ching, ching. <laughs> <laughs> Just read Patty Boyd's book. She asked Ringo Starr for permission to include that. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. I mean... Yeah, it's <laughs> um, if you know if you know the story, you know the story. We don't have to do that here, oh. but uh, oh. but yeah, um, you know. I mean, but that was its time. I mean, George, yeah. uh, you know, the fact that George and Ringo stayed friends after that incident. I mean, it says a lot. Um, yeah. You know, and of course, they, don't they talk about the suing each other on Aspel and Company in yeah. seven or eighty-eight? Well, last time George was angry because when he was suing. <laughs> Right. I said, oh, I said, all right, Jules, you can sue yeah. me. Always yeah. Love you. yeah, that was for the I'll Always Love You uh, song. Um, the, oh, yeah. George, yeah, George yes. Sharp. Ringo changes the arrangement. I think George does not like that. Um, so, so yeah, fun yeah. stuff there. Uh, although that's I, a great... <laughs> although I think, that, I think that Aspel thing was a, was a dig at McCartney, that if these two could get over, you know, a, a, a lawsuit, why couldn't McCartney get over a lawsuit? Uh, which well, happened, the, the 1985 suit, lawsuit where Ono, Starkey, and Harrison were suing him for the for the one percent extra he was getting, which you guys yeah, discussed well, with Peter Resigning with Cat, yeah, resigning with Cat. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so we'll so get I into that part three. So that would be one I, of the yeah, and obviously with the lawsuits, and then it becomes much more juicier yeah. uh, headlines, and of course the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and everything else into yeah. the 90s, and lots of uh, vitriol there. Yeah, yeah. Right. But, 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 by, but by 1981, you know, the three surviving Beatles, the, well, I mean, the four surviving Beatles, let's not forget Pete Best, who often gets overlooked and is a lovely, lovely man, I've met him twice. Uh, but the three guys, you know, they're like uncles to each other's children and they're, they're acting like family members. And it seems to be, they seem to be, they seem to be getting on pretty okay outside of the music business. Yeah, true. Yeah, good point. Um, all right. Well, uh, that's going to do it for this installment of of, of our look at uh, George and Paul's relationship after after the breakup. Beatles. Uh, Owen, you got anything else coming up through the pipeline? Any more writings? Uh, you working on a new book or anything like that? Anything you can share with us? Well, actually, just today, I mean, my interview with Genesis guitarist Steve Hackett has just been published. So, uh, oh, very nice. That. You can find, yes, I, I, I saved that deliberately. Uh, it's, you can find it on pennyblackmusic.co.uk. Uh, he, he was very funny, Steve Hackett. He said, he said um, I think the public school system kind of fucked up the other guys in the band. So he, <laughs> talked, about how, he talked about how Banks and Gabriel, you know, were very, you know, um, swords of dawn kind of stuff. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, uh, yeah. It, it's, uh, that's, that's, congratulations, Owen. Wow, what a, what a, what a score. You. That's fantastic. I cannot wait <laughs> to read that. Okay, that's very kind. Yeah, uh, he was uh, he was very generous with his time and his answers. But I do sympathize with Steve Hackett. You know, being in a band with you know, Rutherford, Banks, and Gabriel, all of them are very. No, it's my idea. No, 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 no. I'm doing this, and and I mean, as, as I mean, and, and Hackett Hackett actually championed Phil Collins, who was you know a Londoner, had stage experience. He's all, come on, guys, it's just music, isn't it? You know, be easy. The two outsiders infiltrating those uh, charter house yeah. boys, you know, the dynamic, know, yeah. you know, come and, on. 
and uh, and the abuse, the amount of abuse Phil Collins gets from the music presses and the fans is just unbearable. It's, oh, like, it's, oh. it's, it's only on a tier lower to the abuse that Yoko Ono gets. It's, it's, it's true, it's, it's, because in truth, as you know, Owen, he's the one that wanted to keep the progressive heavy stuff going in there and poppiness in yeah, the 80s. 100%. He wanted to play Supper's Ready on the Invisible Touch Door, the whole thing, and only Banks and Rutherford said, no, we'll just do a little yeah. bit of a snippet. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, you know, he's the one coming in through these weird time sigs and, and I mean, and... and and I mean, he, he was much more successful as a singer than Peter Gabriel ever was from day one. I mean, yes. I, I mean, he was always much more successful, much more fan fans laughed him up. It's only it's only posterity that people have said, oh, I was I was a mass. I was always uh, Peter Gabriel was more authentic. And, right, and, and to your earlier point that you made, it's so it's just about the how people always identify with the hits. It's like how shallow can people think about identifying an artist just by the just by the two or three songs that got to the top of the hit parade? Yeah. Open your ears, but, people. Yeah, but in Tony Banks' defense as well, his favorite album is Wind and Wuthering, which is like the proggiest album in the canon, and uh, it's one of Steve Hackett's favorites as well. Yeah, the most yeah. The, mo the most romantic one, I would think, right? Yeah, it's the one where they're you know reading 18th century books and then they're writing. It's my favorite Genesis album. I just think it, it's fantastic. It's up there. Rutherford, I think, is kind of this way, that way with it, but I know Tony Banks yeah. likes it the most. Yeah, I mean, Rutherford made that joke in an interview. So he says Tony and Steve love it, the, love it more than the others. So he said, obviously, I can't love it if, if they love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, that is such a, what a what an interview, and I, I can't I can't wait to read that. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm negotiating with another member of Genesis, but I can't name him at the moment. Oh, very oh, good. good. Okay. All right, can't wait for that. But uh, oh, should also mention. <laughs> should mention that uh, we just got a remastered uh, new video for Mamunia uh, yes. that premiered uh, at, uh, while this is going. It was it's a week old already. Uh, Andy, did you get a chance to uh, to see the video? I did. I did. The, you know, again, these 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 4K upgrades that get that just get dropped with little to no fanfare, no PR, no anything. They just you go on YouTube and you see that a new video is dropping. And uh, I did watch it, crystal clear. It sped yeah. up a little bit too much for my liking. Uh, I think it's it just needs to be just a tad slower. But uh, obviously, fantastic quality, animated. If you had never seen the Mamunia video, it's animated and with lyrics and stuff like that, and the Plastic Max and all those things. So um, job well done as usual. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, 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 it's got some great work from Day Lane on that track as well. I mean, I mean, he's such a loss to the world of music, and I, I know I made that joke earlier, but I mean, Day Lane's influence on Wing is is his second only to Paul McCartney's, and uh, yeah. yes. his work with the Moody Blues was 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 unsurmountable. And I mean, just he he was quite the talent. I don't think he quite got his due as a member of Wings. They right, he's yeah. I, I agree with you. Uh, the track's never been one of my favorites uh, in, in the Wings catalog. Uh, hard to believe that they did this video because it was going to be a single. It was. And I'm so glad that this was not a single, to be honest with you. I wish it was, because it's probably my favorite track on the album. Yeah. Wow, I, I, you heard it here first, folks. It's, uh, it's, it's one of my favorites. It's one of my wow. favorites, too. Yeah. There you go, Owen. Nice yeah, to be in good yeah. company with you there. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean it's very Irish. I mean it's uh, it's a bit all about rainfall and it ain't bad and finding the celebration of the yeah. weather. Yeah, and especially towards the last third of the song when the synths come in and everything, yeah. that's fantastic. That I've I've always enjoyed that and the bongos going with the synths and then the yeah. chanting back and forth. I I think it is one of the from forever. I've loved that song forever and ever and ever. Should yeah. have been a single. Sorry, Tom. No, I agree, and it's 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 it's, it's probably the most uh, African influenced track on the album, which considers yes. the, the red labels. Yeah, I can, 
I can agree with you there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's going to do it for, for this installment of Two Legs, a Paul McCartney podcast. Thank you all for joining. Oh, and mm-hmm. my friend, you are welcome whenever you, you want to be here. We, we are so excited to have you back on, and uh, we look forward to having you back on for part three of, of, of this series. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Two Legs Podcast. Uh, any thoughts, um, show ideas? Uh, we just got one yesterday that uh, you know, I was going to talk with Andy about about maybe doing a you know a ballad uh, show about our favorite love songs. Maybe we can talk about that for a Valentine's Day show or something like that. Um, but uh, but yeah, but uh, you know, send your emails to two legs podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we look forward to hearing your comments. Uh, let us know in the comment section um, what your your thoughts about what we talked about uh, on this episode and uh, and uh, you know the, the you know the words uh, that. J- George and Paul had about each other uh, through through uh, through interviews um, and uh, yeah thank you for subscribing to the YouTube channel we're inching closer to 2k uh, subscribers on YouTube and we really appreciate all of you guys uh, checking out the show so that being said for Andy Nichols Owen Ling I'm Tom Hunyadi saying have a great day and a beautiful night take care everyone Tom Hanyadi and Andy Nichols, with musical contributions by Dylan.